Alan Cavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smithy of The Athletic. On this episode, it's that time we've all been waiting for since last year. It's our second annual Crew Chief Draft, and it's not your typical draft. We'll explain if you don't know what we're talking about. But first, David, of course, this is episode 48 of Positive Regression. This is the Jimmy Johnson edition. David, we could and we probably should one day do an entire episode on Jimmy Johnson and everything he has accomplished. This is not that episode, so I don't want you to think we're, we're forgetting anything. But if you don't know, Jimmy Johnson, number 48, 83 wins, seven championships, arguably the best driver in the history of the sport. When you look at the competition he's doing it against, David, how do you sum up quickly Jimmy Johnson? You know, I know the numbers that you mentioned. He he put up the wins and the championships, and and that is what most often will be celebrated. But to me, to be as versatile as he was in different cars, rules package, pre-pavement, post-pavement, that's the appealing thing for me. That's how I will most likely think of his particular brand of greatness. Uh, I wrote recently for The Athletic, that he secured a production rating of 2.0 or higher each year for 14 consecutive seasons. We haven't seen that in the modern era, uh, certainly not in the Fox Sports era, I'll call it that. But in that article, I, I really paid very close attention to his passing. I spent eh, about four weeks worth of looking at just Jimmy Johnson passes. And this is something that I can't get over. I've watched a lot of his past races. I took notes of uh, key moments from those races, and they often involved passes for the win, or passes that, frankly, looked impossible to block or stifle. And a thought occurred to me. He is often hailed for his car control and all of the success he has, uh, uh, really. He's a high-horsepower guy. He's he's this dirt guy. He, he, became, um, he became what he is now because he was an off-road truck racer on the dirt. That's where he was bred. But in watching these passes, Alan, he passed like a late model guy. They were these these passes were meticulous. He's um he's known to prod and calculate what the car in front of him might do. He used feints. He used his fender just enough. He was never the Tony Stewart, Kyle Larson one corner ripper with dive bombs. That wasn't his style. He spent two seasons in the old ASA series, if you can remember back, Alan, driving for renowned crew chief Howie Leto, who, in my opinion, uh, was certainly a great crew chief, but an even better mentor and coach to young drivers uh, across the sport. Under his tutelage, Johnson won Rookie of the Year in the ASA. He finished fourth that year in points. Came back the next year, finished third in points, won two races. But that's where all this began. That's where his passing chops came to be. And certainly the numbers now in his NASCAR career suggest he's one of the greatest passers ever. But if I were to separate drivers into passing styles based solely on their backgrounds, I think he is the greatest late model style passer of all time. And that is something that does not get the proper appreciation. You're going to hear a lot of Jimmy Johnson tributes, but that's something I want our listeners to, to take home. David, from just a viewer's perspective, you know, a NASCAR fan watching him, I mean, what he did and his talent and who he did it against for so long, he almost made it look easy. And none of it is easy, but to his own detriment, he was so good. 
I almost felt like he made it look like he wasn't going against some of the best drivers to ever do it. You know what I mean? Like that's how much he was able to do against the competition and maybe to his detriment where we didn't appreciate it enough when you look back and see who he was doing it against and how much he had to do to win five straight championships and get seven total. It just amazed me what he was able to do. And he certainly cost people, I think, some titles in their careers and certainly a lot of wins when you go back and, and you know, you just got unlucky, some of these guys, right? You think of a Denny Hamlin. You were going up against Jimmy Johnson, right? You had Kevin Harvick. Your career was going against Jimmy Johnson. Who knows how many titles you would have had if you weren't straight up against him. Uh, that's what I'll always remember the 48 for. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, even just in the four weeks I've been watching him, I grew slightly annoyed because just everything exactly. was perfect, right? <laughs> like, it's just like, God, he, no one, no one has anything for this guy. And it's not, it's like, it's not his fault. He's that good. And, um, I, I can see where fans would have grown restless with the 48 car winning all the time. But look, you, 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 you have to uh, take your hat off for such a talented individual, someone with that kind of ambition, hunger to be as good as he was for so long. It's the longevity, right? There's always been the argument of who's better, Jeff Gordon or Jimmy Johnson. I think in my article, I, I, I feel like I made a good point. Jeff Gordon hit the higher highs. Jimmy Johnson wins via longevity. And you can just pick or choose your side. That's where Johnson stood out to me just for, for so long, so good. Uh, that, that to me is impressive. And like you said, against really the, the modern era of NASCAR, just a, a treacherous amount of talent, um, heading his way and he defeated all comers. Not, not that we're looking for a weakness in Jimmy Johnson, but our friend on Twitter, uh, NASCAR man at NASCAR man underscore RR puts out great content. But a, a week ago, he put out this tweet, David, uh, kind of showing Jimmy Johnson's record in the last 15 years at Daytona. 36 crashes since 2005 at Daytona. And his tweet said, is Jimmy Johnson the unluckiest driver at Daytona? 36 crashes. Is that just plain old finding bad luck? And I, I know you've touched the subject before, and I immediately thought, no, I don't think it's bad luck because you can help yourself out once in a while. How did you interpret that when you see 36 crashes, spins, or incidents since 2005 for Jimmy Johnson at Daytona? It's not bad luck. It's happened far too frequently to call it bad luck. And um, I saw that tweet. I appreciate NASCAR man. Hi, Tom. Uh, but I, I went back. I looked at every points-paying Daytona race dating back to the 2013 Daytona 500. So this is a little bit shorter of a window. It's a span of 14 races. Jimmy Johnson was involved in eight big Accidents. I'm using quotation marks here. Our listeners can't see that. And and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna define that as four cars or more. And at the time of those accidents, Jimmy Johnson was running between eighth place and twenty sixth place in seven of them. The outlier was lap one twenty nine in the twenty seventeen Daytona five hundred. He was running in the top five. Uh, that was when he decided to pull four wide into a corner. Next to <clears throat> Trevor Bain. And <laughs> Alan, wouldn't you know it, he exited that corner with a wrecked race car. Fun fact for you. Now, the 8th place to 26th place range uh, that I mentioned, that is traditionally no man's land for Daytona. In short, you would rather be out front and dictating the draft and the pack 
or so far behind the draft trailing it that you can just drive through any accident if such a thing occurred. The odds of being included in a big crash increase by 20 percentage points on average when riding between 8th and 26th simply by occupying the positions that he did. He skewed his own odds of being caught in a crash. And, you know, look, we, we just mentioned Johnson, maybe the greatest to ever do it, but you have to ask yourself, where was this driver's awareness? Where was this team's awareness? Because there was a, a point, it was, it was, it was like a rite of passage to start the season where Daryl Waldrop would refer to Jimmy Johnson as Mr. Lonely on practice day. Well, whenever this happened, when, when Jimmy Johnson was in practice, just driving around by himself, it never made sense to me to ride around by himself, especially considering that kind of thing does not correlate to anything he would experience in a Daytona race. And not to take my word for it, I asked current Cup Series crew chief, Jerry Baxter, <laughs> crew chief for Bubba Wallace about this. And uh Jerry told me, I don't really care about being out there by ourselves. The single car thing, it just doesn't matter. That is quote, end quote. Jerry, please never change. Um, one, one of the reasons, one of the reasons that this practice was detrimental to Johnson was that his initial feeling of this year's, of, of each year's draft, and mind you, there were rules changes. There were changes to the racing surface, the tires, changes in the weather. No two races really have the same drafting feel or the same drafting dynamic. His first experience in a certain draft would come when there's a trophy on the line. And that's not a smart thing. He he would just roll into these races sort of ill-prepared and uninformed, and that's why you saw the number of crashes that you saw. And I'm glad NASCAR man kind of highlighted that for, uh, for the world to see, but, uh, because yeah, look, that, that was a, a weird thing on Jimmy Johnson's record. I've never really gotten to the bottom of that. William Byron participated in the draft this weekend. So I can't say that this was a, a Chad Canals thing. I think it may have been a Jimmy thing, but, um, just a, certainly a head scratcher and something to chew on for fans. Yeah. Something, something to think about, but, uh, look, Plenty of accolades to talk about as well when it comes to Jimmy Johnson and a perfect way to start off episode 48 of Positive Regression. Let's get to it, David. It's that time of year again. We're going to start start heading into 2020. Last year, one of the first things we did on this podcast, you got me to, into this and got me thinking, we did a crew chief draft, much like a fantasy football draft. We drafted our fantasy crew chiefs, and we're going to do it again for 2020. We're each going to take four crew chiefs in a snake-style draft. And the goal of this, David, you know, we know, you know, fantasy football, you want to get points and touchdowns, all that stuff, yardage. The goal here, if you are a listener of this podcast, we talk a lot about positions gained, green flag pit stop cycles. How much do you come out on top? Are you losing? Are you gaining? The biggest positional net among our team of four at the end of the year wins. Now, David, do you want to fill people in on who won last year, unfortunately? It was me! <laughs> and, and we will, we will, same rules apply. Uh, the loser will buy the winner uh, a dinner and drinks at a brewery slash food truck of his choice in Charlotte. I still need to cash in on that from last year. Yes, um, I still but, owe you. 
but but it's but it's all in good fun. Yeah, look, this isn't this isn't going to be traditional. I don't know. You're not going to hear the top names, right? But this is something, especially since the advent of stages, where there's going to be, um, I, I don't know, a middle part of the field, maybe a, a middle two th- uh, two thirds of the field is going to focus on just getting track position during these green flag pit cycles. And that's who we're going to hone in on. Um, Alan, um, I actually am going to propose a, a rule change, not well, maybe an amendment. I'll, I'll say we're going to draft for crew chiefs apiece, but I'm going to dangle a carrot in front of you. We will be allowed to drop one crew chief and add a replacement once at any point in the season. Ooh, what, keep me honest. You? I like but, that. But once you have made that transaction, there is no going back. That is the only transaction you get. Okay. Okay, We and we can drop. I think the drop will be more important than the actual gain, so we'll figure that out. And, and again, for if you are new to the podcast, we appreciate you listening. But what we are talking about, David, is during the race – there is strategy to when you call your driver in during a green flag pit cycle. Remember, we hear people, uh, you know, we hear about the window. Do you come in right when the window's open? Do you long pit and wait to be one of the last cars on pit road? There is strategy there, and there are positions to be gained. And we know that because, David, you calculate it all and tabulate it all. And at the end of the year, you see how many positions are gained. So there are, what that tells us, right, is that there are some better strategists than others. Is that how we can look at it? The crew chiefs that maybe don't have the speed that they can just go out and and mask all of their deficiencies because they've built a fast car and they have a good race car driver, they have to think of other ways to score track position. And this is one of those ways to do that, right? So this is a celebration of those crew chiefs of sorts. And uh, actually, I encourage our listeners to look, play along. They can go to motorsportsanalytics.com during the season to keep tabs on how their crew chiefs are doing. And if you're listening to this between Thursday and Sunday before the start of the Daytona 500, look, you get a full season's worth of, of data. Uh, so start your, start your little positive regression fantasy leagues, have some fun and keep us uh, abreast of uh, everything that's going on. Cause I, I think this can be fun and it forces you to pay attention to these really vulnerable moments uh, for some of these teams on long green flag runs. They're often perceived as boring by fans, but we track this. There are positional gains and losses that absolutely matter to the outcome of the race. It might not be um, as sexy, might not make the highlight reel on the local news at night, but it is um, of high importance. Uh, so this game is something that sheds a spotlight on all that. All right, let's start. We're going to do a snake draft, and, and David, I will trust you. Do you have a trusty coin next to you to figure out who goes first? Yes, our friends at Google uh, have the little <laughs> coin flip tool. Uh, uh, you are going to call it in the air. I am going to flip now. Please call. Tails never fails. I call Tails. Tails is your winner. Tails is my winner. Okay, okay. well, let's get so started. You, you, have, you have the first pick. Now... Um, this, this is going to be interesting. I'm very curious to see how you draft because I'm going to, I'm going to bring our listeners behind the curtain. When we talked about doing this episode last year, you texted me saying, I don't think we can get away with drafting Randy Cox. Number one, I don't think (laughs) our listeners will understand that. So it's a year later. 
Uh, Randy Cox won me the, the league, by the way. Uh, he has since retired. Don't worry about Randy Cox. We're going to hang his number in the rafters one episode as soon as I get the, the rights to play, uh, candle in the wind or something. What a, what a legend. But I, I'm very curious to see how a year's worth of co-hosting positive regression has made you more, more of a stat nerd or are you a stat skeptic? So we're going to learn some things about Mr. Alan Kavana today. Oh, I'm about to bring it. Okay. So, uh, I can't wait. That said, David, with the first pick in the second annual positive regression crew chief draft, the first pick is Trent Owens. For our listeners, again, who are just, maybe just getting initiated with this, whatever it is, whatever the it factor is, when it comes to choosing the right time and strategy to pit your car during a green flag cycle, Trent Owens has it. He has the decision-making gene. He has led the field. He led the field last year in positions gained at normal tracks. When you look at all the data and you take away the super speedways, you take away the road courses at, at the normal tracks, the ovals. He gained Chris Busher 70 positions coming out of green flag pit cycles. That is 28 more than any other crew chief. That's what he did last year in 2019. In 2018, he led the entire field across all types of tracks. Now, so I can't see myself with the first pick picking against Trent Owens and, and, and missing out on such an opportunity to get such a head start. So David, the first pick, the best pick, Trent Owens is on Team Kavana. It is a, it is a fantastic pick. Um, he, he's not the kind of crew chief that's going to get the, uh, the, the in-race interview with the pit reporters, right? But regardless of who he has had, uh, driver-wise, he has accentuated their abilities. He has supplemented their track position. He did that last year with Chris Busher and Chris Busher in his own right improved as well as a restarter and as a passer. And that 37 team probably overachieved just relative to their speed. This year is going to be very interesting with Ryan Priest. Priest is a fantastic intermediate track passer, could use the help uh, elsewhere, and that's not entirely on Priest. That's the speed of the car because that's an unknown right now. Um, not every race weekend is Daytona, so sorry, JTG Doherty. I know they're the poll winners for the Daytona 500, but that's reality. So Trent Owens needs to do this, and more importantly, he understands that he needs to do this kind of thing in order for his teams to succeed. So, Mr. Kavana, well done. I think that is a just a, a tremendous first pick of our second annual draft. And by the way, he is now a two-time number one pick. There you go. Look at that. All right, you are up with two picks, sir. David, show us how it's done. Okay, I am going to uh, take what I feel is a considerable risk right now. Uh, I am going to make Chris Gale Ooh. my first pick. Chris Gale, crew chief for Eric Jones, ranked second among returning crew chiefs with 34 positions gained last year on normal tracks. Uh, this was a hot button issue for me, Chris Gale's strategy, because for whatever reason, it seemed that he was allergic to picking up low-hanging stage points. Well, I had a conversation with Mr. Eric Jones last fall, and Eric Jones already said, yeah, that stage points are going to have to be the focus, especially if they aren't winning races early in the season, not only to get into the playoffs, but once they're in the playoffs, remember, 
that bad first round, they took four points from three races. They need the cushion, right? So they need, they've got to take anything and everything they can get. I like Chris Gale doing this a second year with maybe more of a focus in getting his young driver into a very good position. So, uh, that will, that will be my top pick. And, uh, I get a pick right after that. This is a snake style draft. So my next pick, um, will be Pat Trison. Interesting. Crew chief for rookie Brennan Poole at Premium Motorsports. Um, Pat Trison ranked fourth among returning crew chiefs with 25 positions gained on normal tracks on behalf of Ross Chastain. No disrespect to Brennan Poole. Ross Chastain is a tremendous passer in his own right. Pat Trison is going to have to recognize that from Poole and supplement accordingly. I think there is going to be more of a focus. It's going to be tough just based on what lap they're on. Um, because they're off the lead lap, there is a low uh, ceiling for them losing positions. Um, so I actually feel like this is a, a fairly safe pick. And um, look, the, the poor speed of premium motorsports is a reputation that precedes that organization. I don't think I'm breaking news there. Um, but Pat Trison, an experienced crew chief, uh, certainly an able race caller, considering the equipment that he has at his disposal, and I am entrusting with him uh, a large chunk of my fantasy team's success. No, great picks. Uh, Chris Gale was definitely on my list because of your conversation with Eric Jones. I was going to use your information against you. I was hoping to anyway, but you went and made Chris Gale the second pick of the crew chief draft. So I can't, I can't be too mad, but I'm just disappointed. I, I he wasn't there uh, waiting for me, David. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, look, you, you know, you could have lost that uh, coin toss and you probably could have snapped him up. Um, I'm a little bit bitter that Trent Owens is not on my team right now. I believe I introduced uh, his abilities to the world. Thank you very much. But if you, if you treat him well, he's in good hands. And now I'm just anxious for your next pick. Yes. All right. Next up for, I get two picks now, uh, for my, uh, fantasy crew chief team, if you will. Uh, I'm going to take a little risk here, David, because I'm going to go with, a first-time full-time crew chief. I'm going with James Small of Joe Gibbs Racing and the 19 team of Martin Truex Jr. You know the story, James Small replacing Cole Pern on the, as the chief, uh, as the chief strategist and the shot caller, if you will, uh, for the 19 team and Martin Turex Jr. after Cole Pern decided to leave for Canada. David, I, I just like what he is inheriting. If you look back last year at Cole Pern's numbers, despite having all that blazing speed and running up front often, and we cautioned you guys, we cautioned you listeners that, you know, it's not often that the guys running up front or having all the speed are the ones kind of benefiting from from green flag pit cycle strategy, because if you're running up front, a lot of the time, all you can really do is lose a few positions, if anything, or just maintain. But last year, Cole Pern was able to deliver 28 positions at the oval tracks, despite being how good they already are. Uh, that was good for, he was a top 10 crew chief, a top 10 decision maker. James Small, a part of that team, a part of that brain power over there. That's what he inherits. I think the brain power is still there in terms of the decision making. I know I'm making a risky bet, but I'm going with James Small on my team. What do you think, David? 
Uh, I'm looking at my draft board right now. I actually just came to the realization that I may have overdone things um, because there are eight total picks and there are nine names on my draft board. That doesn't make any sense, right? Well, guess what? James Small is not one of them. Um, That's why I call it a risky pick. I'm rolling dice, baby. But but this this also illustrates why I wanted that that ad drop. I think there there was uh, a lot of crew chief change, and certainly this was the most high profile one. Yes, this is a risk. Um, But you know what we talked about on our first episode of this season was this is a pretty extravagant unknown, right? Because we know the history of how rookie crew chiefs fare in the cup series. Martin Truex is, is phenomenal. Um, but it, it's going to get to a point where is this team going to be able to win seven races? I don't know that the strength of the, of the team is there. We can't guarantee that until we see it. Um, so you are hedging your bets for the team, but it sounds like you're kind of rooting for a little bit of a speed dip from the 19 bunch. That's interesting. If it is, if there is a dip, I know the brain power is there. That's what I'm gambling on right now. All right, James Small, my next pick, David, I'm going with Greg Irwin and Matt DiBenedetto, a new driver crew chief pairing. Matt DiBenedetto joins Wood Brothers slash Penske in the 21 car. But if you look at Greg Irwin's numbers last year with Paul Menard, 28 positions delivered during green flag pit cycles. I just think it's the type of uh, speed and decision that uh, decision making that we could see again. Last year, that 21 car was the 22nd fastest car. I would expect Matt, Matty D to deliver a little bit more of that. But again, I'm just going based on what I think is on the pit box in terms of decision making. I think they can do that again. And David, I may, I may just be making this up, but I, I think the driver. Has to, there has to be some buy-in from the driver, right? If there's going to be strategy about when they call it, you know, if there's going to be consistent strategy when a crew chief is calling a driver down pit road, I, I think there has to be some agreement, some buy-in with the driver. Matt DiBenedetto comes over from the 95 car in LFR where they had to employ strategies like this last year to get some valuable track position during green flag pit cycles. I, I think the buy-in is there from the driver's side. I'm just... This is how I interpret things. And I think if the buy-in is there, him and Greg Irwin will be successful together. So that is my next pick, Greg Irwin. Uh, DiBenedetto also two years ago. Do you know who his crew chief was? Randy Cox. Yeah. So, and, and he, and he spoke of that. Um, I encourage our listeners to go and, uh, read my story about Randy Cox and go fast racing and the philosophy they had called block and tackle. Actually, if you're familiar with the athletic, they have those little smiley faces on the bottom of each article. Well, they keep track of those. And this was my most well-liked story ever in the history of the athletic. So uh, I think all our listeners will enjoy that and appreciate the pragmatic nature of Randy Cox's race calls. But in that, Matt DiBenedetto was very upfront um, about the the realities of the team that he was driving for and understood why they did what they did, and he accepted it. He thought it was cool. Uh, now, Alan, I'm, I'm going to flip this back on you. Does the best speed Matt DiBenedetto has ever had, does that change his desire, his approach? Because this is 
an, uh, an oppressed young driver. <laughs> he has driven start and park cars. He has driven back markers. He has clawed his way up to the middle of the field. And now he is in top tier equipment. Are you sure the buy-in's there? David, that's why you're you and I am me, because I did not consider that when making this Greg Irwin pick, but I'm just going to have to roll with it. And, and look, I mean, obviously the desire is there. Uh, I, I expect him to take full advantage of the best speed he has ever had. But look, if it's the 22nd fastest car or even in that range again, they're going to have to switch to something that we've been talking about in terms of gaining track position to gain valuable points. So if there is a big jump in speed, Maybe I've made a bad pick, but if it is still hovering in that area, I think I will be good. And again, you're right, Maddy D would have to buy in, but he's been there before. And if you get it a few weeks into the season and it's clear, you know, the strategy has to be there to gain track position, I think the buy in will be fine. Okay. All right. Well, it's my turn. I've got my two final picks up, and I think I'm going to make one safe pick. And one very aggressive pick, but I'm going to pick my safe pick first. I am going to pick Scott Graves, crew chief for Ryan Newman at Roush Fenway Racing. Scott Graves ranked seventh among returning crew chiefs with 14 positions gained on normal tracks. It was his stage strategy that everybody is going to want to copy this year that landed his team in the playoffs above Daniel Suarez's team at Stuart Haas racing. And I, I, I like, I like Scott Graves as this kind of safe pick. This might not be a lot of points for me, uh, right here. I'm just looking for someone that will not go negative. And I think the, the reality is that that was the 21st fastest car last year in the cup series. Is that going to change significantly this year, especially with the 2021 car looming? Probably not. So I, I, as far as I can tell, the plan is to run everything back. They actually brought in Chris Busher and Luke Lambert on the other team as sort of a double down. We're going to see about that. I, though, am going to take the surefire pick in Scott Graves as my third pick. And my fourth and final one, Alan, you... uh. You weren't in Daytona last weekend. Uh, you know what? I was. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Do you think maybe I would have abandoned some of my work duties for the athletic just to do some scouting around the garage for this specific game? <laughs> what you said yes, I do believe you would do something as sinister as that. Well, I did. So I, <laughs> I, I, I talked to new Go Fast Racing crew chief oh. Ryan Sparks. Let me let me tell you about Ryan Sparks. Ryan Sparks uh, was the right hand man to Danny Stockman for several years at Richard Childress Racing. Ryan Sparks was the race caller for the three team last year when Danny Stockman, who was on my fantasy team. Scored Austin Dillon 57 total spots. And I talked to Ryan. He kind of knows the deal. Uh, he understands the legacy and the big shoes that he's filling at Go Fast Racing. Um, and he said, yes, that, that, that is, that is what they're going to have to do. They have a good working relationship with Stuart Haas Racing, but it's not everything. It's, it's cars, but it's not notes. It's not, the really good stuff that makes Stuart Haas so good. 
So they're going to have to keep this together with elbow grease and bubble gum. And that also means blocking and tackling as go fast racing is want to do. So Ryan Sparks keeps the legacy going. That is my fourth and final pick of the 2020 crew chief draft. Not bad. Not bad. A little playing dirty. I don't mind. Well, look, you weren't there. You, you look, you look, okay. You had a, you had a great weekend. I saw you were in Iowa. You're eating pizza or something, <laughs> watching caucuses. I have no idea. Uh, that's how you party. That's fine. That's on you. This is what I do, uh, as a hobby is I, uh, you know, use working hours to figure out how to win, uh, fantasy games. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Keep talking trash because with my final pick, I'm going to win this entire contest because with my final pick, David, I'm picking Brian Patty of the pole setter for the Daytona 500, Ricky Stenhouse. Now I can hear David silently laughing at me right now because he's saying, Alan, what are you doing? Last year, Brian Patty cost Ricky Stenhouse Jr. 45 positions on oval tracks, 91 spots overall, among the worst decision makers in terms of the data all of 2019. And you know what, David? I would say you're right. But this is where I start playing chess, and you're still playing checkers. Guess who was also joining the team of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Brian Patty? Their old friend, Mike Kelly. Yeah. Mike Kelly has a long history with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., a long history dating back to the Xfinity Series, Summon Cup. But last year, he was over at Front Row Motorsports. He was the crew chief for, at times, Michael McDowell and Matt Tift. If you combine what he did for his drivers last year, Mike Kelly delivered 72 positions at oval tracks, 109 overall. Those numbers would make him the best strategist in all of 2019, all up and down pit road. Mike Kelly is now on the team with Brian Patty and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Therefore, this pick of mine, David, through the transitive property, because Mike Kelly is going to help Brian Patty out and then going to help me out win this. I think I've made just the winning pick with my final pick on my team for the crew chief draft. Brian Patty slash Mike Kelly. So uh, you're going to be using the ad drop early is what you're, no, what you're I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm saying masked in Brian Patty's numbers is a great strategist who's going to you know whisper in his ear a little bit. I, I like that, you know, you, you, your, your little walnut over there thinks you're playing three dimensional chess. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, you, you have put a lot of responsibility on Mike Kelly. I'm, I'm going to tell you that flat out. Um, because Mike Kelly was getting those gains against, I don't know, the 30th place car and JTG's a little bit better than that. This is a, this is a little stiffer competition. Are you sure, Alan? No, we, what you make these points <laughs> after, you make such good points after I make my, you know, I, I offer my soliloquy in my dissertation and then you make the great point. That's why you're you. And, uh, I, I like to feel like I represent the layman listener still learning, but I feel like I've made some progress. Yeah. You know what? I, I gotta tell you, this is why I'm happy that we have this podcast because we just have. <laughs> We have this kind of episode. This has gone off the rails, everybody, but no, I've had, this is, this is fantastic. Um, I, I applaud the, the thinking that just goes into making these picks because we, we don't know. I mean, we're, we're using past numbers, but we can't, we can't predict the future. 
Trent Owens is a solid first pick, and that's why he's been the number one pick two years in a row. And again, I think this is an important part of racing that goes relatively undiscussed in uh, in NASCAR media on the on the telecasts, but uh, we like to focus on it. And just for me, I, I like to understand how races are won, how results come to be, and this is a big part. Like there is there is buy in for this kind of strategy all through the garage. Um, it is a it is a known thing, and crew chiefs that that think this way are known quantities and and here we are trying to make sense of those known quantities and and select them for a team so i'm glad that we have now a a pretty robust listener base that uh, puts up with this uh, kind of stuff but uh, this was a lot of fun i cannot wait to see how this season pans out um, man, Alan, you took some risks. Yeah, well, yes, I, I think I took calculated risks, and we remember we have the wild card, uh, the ad, the one-time ad drop that uh, could could help me out a little bit as well. But I think I'm pretty comfortable with my team. I, I like where we're going with this. So okay, okay. So question question about that. If I had not added the ad drop, who do you draft instead of Brian Patty? Uh, I don't know. Brian Patty was my sleeper the entire time. Like I, I, I went into this knowing that I was going to drop the Brian Patty bomb and walk off like a champion. So that was my strategy the entire time. Uh, it's going to be very tough to not name this episode, the Brian Patty bomb. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you know, I, I actually had as a sleeper and it is something that our, our listeners should keep, uh, someone that our listeners should keep an eye on Cliff Daniels last year. Ranked sixth among returning crew chiefs with 17 positions gained on normal tracks. Um, he's, he's spoken about Jimmy Johnson's desire to get back to the playoffs and attempt to win races. This is where I raise my hand and say, ah, sample size. We didn't see all of it. And by the time Cliff Daniels really got his hands around that car, they were already not in the playoffs. So they're wasn't much to lose uh, by taking some some pretty aggressive maneuvering um, during green flag pick cycles. And I'm curious to see if and when that changes this year. He's working with a clean slate in a new season. That's something to watch because that could be the very thing that gets Jimmy Johnson into the playoffs in his final year. And um, And how about Matt Borland last year? Ended the season with a 17-position net gain on behalf of Ty Dillon, and he won two stages. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and, and Jermaine Racing, uh, for whom Borland is a crew chief, not not lights out speed. You know, it's part of the RCR alliance, and their struggle with speed has gone on for about three years now. So, again, Borland, I mean, we we think of Matt Borland, we think of all those those polls and the wins with Ryan Newman you know, 15 years ago, but Borland has reinvented himself into uh, a really effective pit strategist, not so much in just terms of total positions, but in the impact it has. How is Ty Dillon winning stages at Bristol? That is, that is something else. So um, just uh, two guys to keep an eye on. I don't know. They might be added. If our listeners want to play at home, I've just given you a nice draft board to work from and man, I, that would be cool uh, if if there were 
uh, positive regression fantasy leagues popping up all over the country. And uh, if they are, we want to hear about it on Twitter. Yes, yeah, certainly. If you've made it this far in the episode, you've, I hope you've learned a lot. But, you know, when it comes to Las Vegas, you know, we'll see it at Daytona. But when we get to Vegas and Auto Club and beyond, uh, you know, keep an eye out for those things as you're watching. Start watching these races differently in terms of when people in a green flag cycle in that window, when they go in, how much of a difference does it make? And look, and then we'll all be on the same page here. And uh, it helped me last year just learn about strategy and it can help you guys going forward. So we will check in as uh, from time to time throughout the year uh, with the second annual crew chief draft. Well, this has been an awesome episode because I, I, I do think I'm going to uh, defeat David. But again, we'll check in later. If you uh, just remember, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We are available no matter your device. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. That kind of stuff really does help us. If you are out there on Twitter or Reddit, please help in spreading the word. We'd love to see. Uh, you know, I love hearing from you. So does David. Reddit everybody on there. I don't know as much about Reddit as I should, but I appreciate your passion for the sport and discussing it. Uh, it, if, If you like this stuff, please tell your friends about it. It does help. We notice all this and it is appreciated. If you have any questions, we will answer them right here on the podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you're always working hard. We are both in Daytona. What are you working on? Well, I will be at Daytona 500 Media Day on Wednesday at the uh, the big track Thursday through Sunday. I get to see my positive regression co-host. I am very happy about that. And I, I will be there working on future projects. But in the meantime, our listeners can find me on The Athletic, uh, my first scouting report of the top young prospects for a major national outlet. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. I scouted for real for 13 years. That used to be my day job. And now I've been given the green light to write about it for my new day job. Uh, so this first scouting report focused on Sam Mayer, Haley Deegan, Sammy Smith, and Jesse Love, all of whom are highly regarded and have manufacturer development deals So if you're inclined, do yourself a favor and learn about this next wave of talent that is rolling through ARCA and into NASCAR. If you do not already subscribe to The Athletic, take advantage this week, a special deal, 40% off of your first year. It is good stuff, I promise. So check all of that out. Good stuff there. If you are listening on Thursday morning, thank you. First of all, that means you are a subscriber, which is awesome. It also means you watch a ton of great coverage on FS1 and Race Hub from Media Day, Daytona 500 Media Day. Uh, check out my Twitter. A lot of the conversations I did, you know, I'll talk to Brad. I've talked to, uh, Brad Kozlowski, Alex Bowman. We, we talked to everybody on the show. Ryan Blaney, I, I would have talked to. So, uh, that'll be good. Thursday afternoon, the trucks, the trucks are back on track uh, to practices Thursday afternoon on FS1. And really, I mean, just keep it on FS1 and the Fox family Thursday throughout uh, the end of the Daytona 500 on Sunday. But of course, I will be on pit road Friday night for the truck race. So excited to get back down there. Uh, a really stacked field this year, I think, for the truck. So it's going to be going to be exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking forward. It's great to be back. Great to be in Daytona. So uh, turn on your TV, listen to your podcast. 
it's going to be great. Uh, David, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to uh, starting getting an early lead in our podcast, in our, in our crew chief standings. But for David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. This is Positive Regression. Stay positive, everybody. Enjoy the racing. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.